Good morning, Woodside. Sorry uh, I didn't email you ahead of time about bringing your blankets, but if you need to snuggle your neighbor, that will fit right in with the sermon theme. So It is really good to be with all of you here this morning and to continue in our series called Family Treasures. Last week, Pastor Dan began uh, the series by talking about the treasure of faith, this gift of faith that we can have and that we can also give in our relationships and in our families. And so each week of this series, we're going to be looking at like a big picture concept like faith and then asking ourselves what it means to have this gift and how we can give it away in our relationships. Pastor Dan also mentioned that this series is really geared towards family units, specifically to spouses and parents. And so our our hope is that if you're a spouse or a parent, that this series would encourage you, would challenge you to foster these treasures in your home. And the fact of the matter is, is that everyone is a part of some kind of family, so sorry to say you're not off the hook. These five treasures that we're examining play out in all of our relationships, and so our hope is that you will find wisdom and encouragement regardless of what your situation is. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the treasure of love. Now, you might be thinking, well, all relationships are based in some manner of love. That's true. So let's tighten up the definition a little bit before we get going, because the word love in English is obviously quite loaded. So we're going to be talking about love in terms of the sense of connection and closeness. Connection and closeness. We're going to be looking at descriptors like affectionate and intimate. That's kind of the branch, the the, the piece or the part of love that we're going to look at today. And we all know love is a treasure, right? We know that. People are blank stares, right? We know that. Love's a treasure. It's a gift. We can give it in our relationships. And so we're going to open up God's word and ask ourselves, why is love a treasure? Why is it something I should want to cultivate and pass on? And then secondly, how? How can I cultivate and pass on this treasure in my family? Now, I totally believe that it is a treasure if your family has things like deep connection, if your family is affectionate with each other, if you're close. It's a treasure. Let's just pray together as we begin. Lord God, again, we are thankful that we can gather God, it is, it is a good thing for your people to gather together around your word and in praise. Would you teach us this morning through your word and by your Holy Spirit, God? We need to be taught how to love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're, we're kind of uh, a little obsessed with love as a society, aren't we? Like every single song, movie, piece of art revolves around love. Let, um, yeah, I'm just going to read a couple song lyrics to give you an idea. Listen to how we talk about love. One man sings, you hit me like a hurricane. Another, you can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love. How about every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. <laughs> Another, I, I woke up drunk on your love. And finally, I'd catch a grenade for you. These humans sound insane, right? It's, we struggle to even describe this 
thing that we're so entranced with, this sense of love. We're borderline desperate. Like, like we are, we're, we're desperate for connection, for intimacy. And our society, as described in these lyrics, wants us to find the source of this love from within ourselves, from within us as human beings. We have to be able to generate this hurricane force love, this kind of love that might leave you intoxicated. And that desire to have love and give it away is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's, it's natural. It's a fitting part of being human. But the difference is where we find its source. As Christians, we're able to give and receive these things, give these gifts to others, because we have first received them from him. Our definition and experience of love is just different as believers. We love him and others because he first loved us, as we're told in 1 John 4. And, and we're going to be looking at uh, 1 John, parts of chapters 3 and 4, so you can turn there now if you'd like to help us understand why we should consider love to be a treasure and how we can use it in our families. So turn with me to 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 4 and verse 7. If you don't have your Bible with you, the text is on the screen. So 1 John 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we said it right up front. Love is a treasure. It's clearly something that we are called to as Christians. And if you're anything like me at all and you never really graduated from your toddler curiosity, you always have that same question ringing in your ears. Why? Like constantly in there. And thankfully, John gives us the why right up front. We read the call on our lives, beloved, love one another. We ask why, and God's word says, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so why do we chase after this treasure in our families? Because firstly, love is from God. Love's origin is God. It emanates from him. It comes from him. And then secondly, our loving of each other is an indicator of our knowledge of God. Did you catch that in there? Whoever loves knows him. Whoever does not does not know him. And so loving becomes this litmus test for our knowledge of God. And it's an accurate litmus test because thirdly we read, God is love. Love is essential to God, as in it is a part of his essence. And so as we look at these parts of love, this uh, connection and affection and intimacy, we need to begin by being reminded that God has all of those things perfectly within himself, within the Trinity. 
God is not only the origin of love, the source of love. He is it. He defines it. He displays it perfectly. As uh, theologians have uh, tried to understand the three persons of the Trinity, one of the ways to do that is by differentiating between the roles in the persons of God, right? So, uh, for example, the Father's role is to lead. The Son's role is to submit to the Father's leading. And uh, the Spirit is described by St. Augustine and others as the bond of love between the Father and the Son. And so, no, no part of the Trinity lacks love. The Trinity is, is never disconnected. God is affectionate within himself, with the Son praising the Father, with the Spirit drawing near to the Son, with the Father sending the Spirit and glorifying the Son. It's, it's perfect love within the Godhead because God is love. But maybe you've heard this phrase today. Love is love. Have you heard that? Love is love. What a sad phrase. It's really sad because what our, what our culture thinks it is doing is broadening our general understanding of what love is. They think they're increasing the breadth of love by saying love is love. But it's sad because actually by taking God out of the definition, all you've done is stripped love of all of its power, all of its potency, all of its beauty, and you're just left with this thing that's kind of bland and trite. They've actually shrunk what love is in their pursuit of making it bigger. They've made it small, even contradictory. And as Christians, you and I need to remind everybody how big and important love is. And we do this by reminding everyone how big and important God is. And it's not hard, friends. The Bible has been called by many different people many different times the greatest love letter ever written. That's not a hard thing to prove. The pages of this book are brimming with good news for us. Knowledge for us about how much God cares for us. How much affection he shows to us. How much closeness and intimacy he desires to have with us. How far he is willing to go. There's that country song that goes, ain't no road too long if we meet in the middle. Well, we, we will find out just how short that road is because the Lord is not meeting us in the middle. He has come all the way. And so I want us to be reminded today how much God loves us. He loves you. What's the most famous verse in all of Scripture? Probably, probably John 3.16, Right? For God so loved the world that he sends his son to be salvation for many? That's the Father. The Father loved us so much that he decided to increase our level of connection with him, increase our intimacy with him by sending us his son. 1 John 3 begins by saying, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The Father loves us so much that he wants us as family. He's made adoption possible through the Son. And then we look at the Son. We look at Jesus. 
Jesus lacks no love for us either. Matthew 11 and verse 29 tells us that uh, it's, it's describing Jesus. He was gentle and lowly in heart. Those are words he gives himself. Gentle and lowly in heart. That word can mean tender-hearted. It, it, uh, it's kind of defined as well-compassionate. Jesus was well-compassionate. He was deeply compassionate towards us. I mean, like, he, he came near to us. He has affection for us. Listen to these words from the love letter in in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things of the present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how much. The, Father, the Father's love for us was displayed perfectly in Christ Jesus and we read that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love that Christ has for us. And so why are we called to love? Because he first loved us. Friends, we're wearing his name every time we identify ourselves as Christians. And so it is our job, it's our very identity to reflect him by our love. We are called to connection with one another because we look like him when we're connected. We're called to be affectionate with one another because we look like him when we are. We are made able to have those things through him, through Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just that we've been called to reflect God by acting out our love for each other, although we are. We're also called to reflect God in our connection with him. And we're actually made for that because we've been made as image bearers of God. Human beings are hardwired to need things like closeness and intimacy. Part of what being human is, is to give and receive love in these ways. It's a, it's a part of God's perfect design for us, part of his creative process. And so that, that, that feeling of love is not simply some chemical reaction in the brain with no purpose. It's not just instinct. It has been designed with intention. Did you know that in the 1930s and 40s, doctors found these orphan children dying en masse, even though these children were physically well? They were healthy enough kids. All that these children did not have was physical touch from another human being and emotional connection. And they were dying. Psychiatrists termed it emotional starvation. 
This phenomenon helped give further understanding to what we now call attachment theory, which basically posits that the, the bond of love between spouses or between a parent and a child is essential, not just to like thriving as a person, but can even be essential to your very survival. I read quite a bit of secular information on attachment theory as I prepared for today, and I found it fascinating. Partly because Things like attachment theory are only now just scratching at a part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Things that God has spelled out in his word are only now being discovered as essential to humanity, to human growth. It's not just history and science that keeps corroborating the perfection of the scriptures. It's the social sciences as well. We're, we're, maybe we're amazed to find out that denying someone physical, physical touch could actually cause them physical harm. And yet David told us 3,000 years ago that he got physically unwell when he felt God to be distant, when his heart was troubled. Our whole biology and physiology are made for love. That's part of being an image bearer. And so just like God is the author and perfecter of our faith, which we talked about last week, God is also the author and perfecter of our love. He's authored love. This is his story. He wrote the textbook on it. He owns all the records in it. It's his invention. And he's the one who, who gives it to us, who makes it possible for us to show love to others or to feel love. And so he's the one who's also perfecting it in us. He's sanctifying us in love and through love. I mean, we think about that. Part of God's revelation to us about who he is is that he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He wants to be close. He desires closeness, nearness to his people. This is a faith that must have intimacy. You, you cannot maintain a surface-level relationship with the Lord. We're not to have that. We're to grow nearer to him in this life. And so how? How do we cultivate a loving relationship with the Lord, a, a relationship that's actually intimate? Well, James is helpful for us here. We read in James, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalm 145 says a similar thing. We read that the Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. And so we saw our connection with the Lord is initiated and sustained by him, and we are called to respond in faith, to also draw near. We're called to reflect God by bearing his image, and, and one of the ways we do that is actually by our connection with him. Like, he gave himself to us. He drew near to us. He revealed himself to us, and so we can bear his image by doing those things in response, by giving ourselves to him, by revealing our hearts to him. And, and we want to give some hopeful ideas for imperfect families in this series. Well, imperfect families start with imperfect individuals. Anyone else? Recognize your own imperfections? Imperfect individuals. We need a perfect redeemer. And this perfect redeemer, we sang it earlier, this perfect redeemer has perfect affections for us. We can cast our cares on him 
because he cares for us. So a couple of hopeful ideas in your relationship with the Lord. Let me give you two. In 1 John 4, we're told that the love of God and the knowledge of God are deeply connected. And so if we build our knowledge of God, we'll build our love for God. So how can we know God more? We soak ourselves in his good word. Read the love letter, friends. Opening his word daily will draw you nearer to him. He is to be found in here. A second, acknowledge his activity in your life or maybe in this world when you pray at supper time. It's an easy one. Just by recounting how you've seen God, saying out loud each day how you've seen God will help cultivate a love for him. But what about in our relationships with each other? Because as Christians, we kind of know. We know God loves us. We don't really totally understand why. But we know he loves us, and we kind of understand how we are to respond. But what about in our families? We're going to look at three relationships that might need hopeful ideas for growing in our connection within them. We're going to look at marriage, parenting, and the church family. We're going to do so by turning to 1 John 3. We'll begin in verse 11 to determine why and how we do these things with each other. So 1 John 3, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Then we'll skip ahead to verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And then John kind of summarizes in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he has commanded us to do. And so John kind of sums up God's commands in a very similar way that Jesus does in the Gospels. God's commandment is to believe in Jesus and love one another. we got to do both. And if we believe in Jesus, we will love one another the way that he says we ought to. In verse 18, little children, let us love in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. And so we're going to look at these three relationships and how we can deed and truth in them. And even if the specific relationship that we're talking about is not one that you are a part of, maybe you can try and find something that you can bring into your family or your friendships anyways. This is also probably a good, thing, a good place to say that connection in relationships does not mean the identical thing for every relationship. For example, you should tell your spouse everything. You should not tell your coworkers everything. Or the way that you comfort a child or your friend should look very different than how you comfort your wife. But in all of those things, the goal is the same. The goal is loving connection. It just may look a little different. So firstly, 
We are to have love in our marriages. Amen, right? (laughs) It seems obvious. We're to have love in our marriages. But I'm not just talking about a general love for your spouse. I'm talking about deep connection, great affection, intentional intimacy, a real closeness. Do you have those things in your marriage? Do you feel deeply connected to each other? Often when couples seek counseling, they tell their therapist, we're struggling with communication. That's a common refrain. We're struggling to communicate. And therapists say that often, the couple will then go on to describe a somewhat decent level of communication. But what is actually missing is that there is a lack of connection. They're not connecting. Is your marriage well connected? What about affectionate? Would you describe your marriage as affectionate? Not just physically affectionate, which is something we should have. Sometimes in the church we get uncomfortable talking about sex. You know that God's word encourages us as husbands and wives to enjoy the gift of sex? This is God's design. He designed it. God made it to benefit your marriage, to deepen the level of connection you have with one another, to bond you together. Sex is one of the barometers of the health of your marriage. But, but beyond physically affectionate, are you emotionally affectionate with one another? Do you whisper those sweet nothings? Are there compliments out of nowhere? We want to be connected to our spouse. So much more than just like, hey, how are you? I don't have time to really know you. Like, we want to be deeply connected. And, and in general, we're okay to say marriages are work, right? We're okay to say that. Are we okay to actually work, to put in the effort, to put love into action through deed and in truth? So how about some hopeful ideas for imperfect marriages? Let me raise my hand. I'm a part of an imperfect marriage. How can I cultivate love with my spouse? So a couple hopeful ideas to deed and truth in our marriages. One, set aside special time for them. I'm sure it's harder the more children you have, but setting aside special time for your spouse to let them know how important they are to you. Second, join them in a hobby. Do something they want to do. Third, hug and kiss them. Remind them of your love through physical affection. And lastly, it's tell them that you love them. I mean, especially maybe right now, you come home, honey, I know you're trying to hold your job down and teach these crazy kids. I love you. Or, honey, I know you give away all your energy at work all day and then you come home and you give your energy to this family. I love you. It's important. And couples, it's these joining each other in a hobby, telling each other you love them. It's, it's not for the purpose of having something to post on your social media. I saw this couple at dinner the other night. Just, like, put the phone away. The, the purpose of these things is to have a deep connection with the person that you actually love. The marriage relationship gets to express the love of God in a way that no other relationship gets to. So let us do them well, church. Now we're also to give the gift of love in our families. We're to be connected with our kids as parents. 
They need this. We need this. But, but how do we do it? Parents, did you know that almost all of God's instructions for us as parents, specifically about parenting in his word, are about discipline and instructing and not provoking. <laughs> if, if you're to do a, like a quick Google parenting verses, you're not going to find any verses that command us specifically to be affectionate with our kids. However, all of those things, the, the discipline and the instruction, are done better when we model the Father through connecting with our kids. We want our kids to feel close to us, to be comfortable with us, to feel safe with us. And dads, let me talk just directly to you for just a second. This is not going to be condemnation, just a little challenge for all of us. We are commanded by God to set the tone in our homes. We have the opportunity to imitate the Father here. You lead in how connected your home is. This was challenging for me. I read this verse this week and it hit me. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Did you catch that in there, dads? Our affection for our kids should look like God's love for his elect. It's a high bar. Our tenderness with our little ones is a picture of God's love for us. What an opportunity to display him to our world. So how about some hopeful ideas for our imperfect families so that we deed and truth with our kids? First, it's very similar. Set aside special time to listen to them. Get down on their level. Ask them how their day was. Really hear what they're saying. I'm sure it's harder the more children you have, but it's an important part of being connected to our kids. Secondly, Pastor Dan talked about this last week. Play with them. They want to crawl around? Crawl around. They want to throw a ball? Catch the ball. They want to play Legos? Lucky you, I'm coming over. I love Legos. And again, parents, playing with our kids? Yeah, you love Legos too? Me too. <laughs> Glad. Again, parents, playing with our kids is not for the purpose of having something to post on our social media. Put the phone away. The purpose of playing with our kids is to have a deep heart connection with the person we actually love. And then lastly, one last hopeful idea. Tell your kids that you love them. They need to hear it. Remind them. Maybe with your little ones, it's as you tuck them in at night, you kiss them goodnight. I love you, little one. Maybe with your older kids, it's as they head out the door for school or they head to their rooms to do school. <laughs> I love you. You can do this, right? They need to hear it. Those are just a few ways that we can cultivate. We can grow up love in our homes. We can give the gift of love in our families. So maybe you'll take one of these ideas home to start today. And what about if you didn't? What if you don't feel that way? What if you're not connected with your kids or in your marriage? What if you're not close? What if you feel like, I kind of messed this up. I haven't given this gift in my relationships. Start today. Start today. Friends, it's not too late. All of our marriages are works in progress. 
All of our families are imperfect. By the grace of God, we can all grow in the gift of love. And as we begin to close this morning, I want to remind us that we're also to have this treasure as a church family. It's, it's a little different to think about, but the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says how deeply affectionate he is towards them. That this affectionate love is something we can have as a church family also. In Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, this is instructions to church families. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Love like you're a family. Friends, I think we do this one pretty well. Thank you. This is a gift that our church family has. We should thank God for the connection that in general we feel here. We are. We're tender-hearted towards one another. We're affectionate with one another. Thank you, church. That's part of the reason we have a community that is unified here. It's because we are imitating Christ in our love for each other. Friends, the God that we serve is love. He is this thing that we get to represent. Listen to his words in Isaiah. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So what is this unshakable, unfailing love that he's talking about? How is it actually displayed to us? Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is how it is demonstrated. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest deed of love ever performed was when truth himself was crucified for you and for me. We put that love on top of our steeples. We hang it around our necks. We engrave it on our books. Sacrificial love is the defining action of our faith. Friends, would we learn to model and give away this treasure? Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we know that you, God, are love. Lord, will we, will we be good imitators? Will we model your love to this world? Will we give it back to you and to one another? Lord, we know that we can trust you in this command to love each other, that you are going to sanctify us, you're going to make us look more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we feel inadequate to, to do this loving in our relationships, in our marriages, as parents, in our church families. But Lord, we know that you are, you are working in us. That it is your love that we get to pass along to others. Would you continue to teach us how to love? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.